All right, I got to tell you guys about the best mattress I've ever slept on, Lisa. Lisa is taking over the game. They're driven by a mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. What that means is that they donate one mattress to a shelter for every 10 that they sell through their 110 program. Over 22,000 mattresses have been donated so far. They're also green as fuck. Lisa plants one tree for every mattress sold and donates 1% of every employee's time to volunteer for local causes. It's available online or at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City and Virginia Beach. It's American-made mattress. Ships compressed in a box to your door. It's fucking convenient. I unraveled this thing. It, it pops out of the box. You set it up and it's a no-brainer. It's one of the nicest beds I've ever slept on. And I own a Tempur-Pedic that costs over double what this bed costs. You can head over to lisa.com forward slash on it absolutely amazing you get $160 off now that's the deepest discount they've ever done at lisa.com slash on it butcher box butcher box delivers healthy 100 grass-fed and finished beef free-range organic chicken and heritage breed pork directly to your door on a monthly basis it's hard to find high quality meat you can trust butcher box is changing that and they offer free shipping anywhere in the 48 continuous states not only is it convenient, the taste is unbelievable. There's a huge difference in flavor between animals raised on pasture and those fed grain in concentrated animal feed operations, which is destroying the motherfucking earth. So make sure you get some high quality food in your diet from butcherbox.com. You can head over to butcherbox.com and use code word on it at checkout for $20 off plus a free slab of bacon. All right, guys, I want to tell you about PowerDot. PowerDot is the world's first smart muscle stimulator. This thing hooks up through Bluetooth right to your phone, way less cords. You can use it on airplanes and road trips. It helps with recovery and muscle stimulation for performance. There's 10 preset muscle recovery and performance programs, 25 plus preset muscle groups. There's nothing like it on the market right now. Go to PowerDot.com and save 25% when you use code ONIT at checkout. John motherfucking Dudley's in the house. John Dudley was just on the Joe Rogan experience not long ago. Uh, he's been on it many times. Phenomenal dude. One of the best archers in the world. Uh, bow hunter. Something I've been wanting to get into for a really long time. My um, my dad, my uncles, grand granddad all used to bow hunt. And um, never really knew kind of what to do. Like, wh what kind of bow should I get? Or what's the right size? What's the right you know, what's the right technique? I mean, fucking any of it. And, um, we had John in it on it for 48 hours. I got to do private training with this guy for two days straight. We jumped on his podcast, knock on TV and, uh, had a great podcast there all full of the beginner tips that he gave me. It's kind of like golf, you know, it's, it's not, you got a lot to think about. It's not just swinging a club. And, uh, there was just so much to it, but it was beautiful, and uh, he really helped me, and then he built me a custom bow for my birthday and hooked me up. I mean, just uh, an amazing experience with John, and uh, we we have an absolute blast on this podcast. We don't get to go into all the funny shit that uh, him and Rogan do on a three-hour show where they're, they're throwing some drinks down and having a good time, but I think this is definitely going to hold its own in the podcast kingdom with my man, John Dudley. Check it out. On it podcast, John Dudley in the house. What's up, my man? I know I feel like I'm in uh, what was that movie of Schwarzenegger where they flipped over the little gas, the, All of the them? little glass thing? What was that? Was that like oh, where they flipped the fucking the timer over? Yeah, there's a movie with Arnold. I think so. 
Six day? I don't know. When it runs out of sand, like Total Recall? Uh, Terminator one. I don't even Terminator know. Terminator two. Predator. I was uh, impressed with how you roll with your mic. You go full gangster. He goes way down low with that thing. Like I, I, I gotta up. go low. You know what? I, I mind pump taught me this because they were like, What the fuck is that breathing? And oh, it was yeah. me. So I'm always like when I'm when I'm listening, it's so they told me keep the mic low and point it up towards the mouth that way it's farther away from your nose since i always breathe through my nose then it's less audible i think it's because you breathe through a part of your nose it's <laughs> yeah, not it's, because you i could i can think king velasco's for that <laughs> yeah he, he made one nostril twice as big as the other one yeah exactly i remember that day vividly you in sparring a, yeah your dual exhaust is definitely not balanced <laughs> <laughs> so that's where that's coming from uh, and by the way, for those of you listening right now, one thing you might not know about Kyle is he actually has a fanny pack that makes Rogan's looks like a little bitch. <laughs> you know, I had I Rogan hooked me up with his when I went on the show and he was he was talking about um Andrew Dice Clay. Yep. So he's like, Joey baby, you gotta get the leather. It's so <laughs> fucking nice. Eww. And he's telling he's telling me about it. He does the best my I butchered the dice impersonation. Sorry for everyone fucking listening, but Huge fan of Dice Clay. And he's telling me about it. And I'm like, I tried to order one of these because I've been wanting to order one. And they're like $100 fanny packs. It's mm -hmm. fucking real leather, super nice. And so he hooks me up. And I'm like, dude, you've been sold out for months. He's like, I know I keep a couple of these for special guests. I was like, fuck yeah. And uh, I, I wear it at weddings, like nice, nice places <laughs> where I know I just need my wallet, my cell phone, and a can of snooze. <laughs> maybe a little LSD, whatever, I'm good. But I don't need anything past that. When this thing, it's just too small though. Like I can fucking stuff t-shirts in this. You know, if I'm out, out at a supermarket or something and I need, you know, I need some handy snacks for the kid. I can throw an extra diaper in here. I got no problems. I'm good to go. It looks like a one of my portable sleeping bags actually with a, with a waist like, I could strap fit, i could fit a fucking mat you, yeah, you can, be your whole your whole fucking outfit yeah you can what do you call it. those rogan had you um break like, that term down like a bivy sack there we go bivies. yeah you could yeah. definitely do two days on the mountain with that fanny pack right there and you have a bottle opener on the side that's pretty hot no but what, i could i could add what one is that? this guy this is so this is a lock i talked about this in depth from so it's a pack safe there you won't see it on the video it must have sounded like an ad looking back in hindsight because i fucking sang the gospel on rogan's for these guys but basically when i traveled to uh, central and south america for a month i heard about I slashing grabs yep. so you can lock all this shit and then lock it up push oh. this button and nobody can yank shit open it's got like mesh mesh steel mesh through it so you literally cannot slash and grab yeah and That's it's got awesome. the RIFD blocker in there so people can't steal your web info and Apple Pay info when you're going through airports. Go, go gadget front fanny pack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I did get a one-upped. If I'm going to say there's a better version out there, size isn't everything in life. But Tim Kennedy's buddy Shane, you know, these guys are always fucking packing, right? And it's Texas, so of course they're packing. Yep. But he's got a... I was like, what the fuck do you keep in that thing? And he's got like... <laughs> A fucking giant clock 23 yeah, or something. A giant fucking gun in there <laughs> everything extra magazines and then of course wallet whatever else he wants you know but it's 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 just like one size bigger you know and i was like man i think i could fit my glock 19 in this just move some stuff around maybe carry a little less tobacco and be good good for him yeah rogan gave me one of his uh super wedding packs as you call them the, the leather yeah 
but uh, it was it's like one inch short of my waist. And they don't go bigger, right? Well, they do now, but the problem is you like go full big boy big. So I'm like, I'm I'm that person on the airplane that has that doesn't really want to have to ask for the extension. <laughs> but you know that you have to have it in order to make it work. It's like that close. I think if I was a 34 and a half waist, I could get that thing. What's your waist though? Probably 35 and a half. And you're 6'6"? I wear 34s. My you're about 6'6"? Six, six? Yeah. 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 I wear 34s. Can you fit in his? The one he gave you? Uh-huh. All right. I can now. But, oh. but it is, it's, not, it's not around my pants. It's around the waist. And that's the thing. That's the issue. Maybe I'm I can't put it around it too the past. Low. You got to you hike higher? it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It won't go like my belt and every and all that shit. It won't fit around that. It won't fit around the hips. Yeah. Well, just so you know, too, uh, I learned this from my wife in England. Fanny means a different thing. Uh huh. They told me that. <laughs> it's pussy for yeah. everyone listening. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's a pussy pack. Yeah. I remember um, I was there and I was with their family and. For some reason, we talked about, we were getting on the subject of, I don't know, someone was being bad, and I just said, you know, need to get their fanny slapped. <laughs> and, like, her, her uh, sister gave me this look, and I thought, yeah, that that has to mean something you know, else. <laughs> but but they're, they're the fucking funniest culture, because it, well, they call, everyone wears them on their ass, so they call them bum bags. Yeah. Right? Yep. But they'll tell you to your face, like, like John's a great cunt. That guy's a funny cunt, you know. And they just throw cunt out there like it's like like just. I think that's Australia more. Maybe that was a, yeah. another butchered accent. Yeah. But yeah, I think they do use cunt though the same way. Like both cultures. Yep. Throw it out there like yeah, he's a good cunt. You know? Yep. It's uh, it's interesting. Well, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's let's we got we got a couple things here. So I was hoping we could split this in half, like okay. a fifty-fifty episode. Yeah, I was wondering. Uh, what you you, had up you, here. you made a little post today uh to the oh. to your audience and you had some questions you told them we were going to come on the on it podcast what are the questions and we got a fucking slew of great questions so i want to do a little q a okay for the listeners and um even though this will be out months after the fact it'll still be valuable information and then also i wanted to circle back to some origin story you know i want to i want to i want to wolverine origins yeah wolverine <laughs> origins and they'll do spinoffs right we'll get a deadpool origin but um yeah, man. I mean, what got you started in all this? We, we were talking earlier about in the car when I picked you up in the airport about gl- growing up with the Guida brothers. Yeah. Playing football, wrestling, doing crazy shit. Yeah, well, I've, I played football a lot with Jason, which I didn't know you knew Jason, which is kind of cool, um, from Ultimate Fighter, was Yeah, it? Ultimate Fighter Season 8. That's awesome. And <laughs> then, uh, yeah, Clay was younger, but I told you some some crazy jason stories you were saying you were talking to me about why jason slaps clay so hard slaps the shit out of him every fight <laughs> and i said i said that's probably how he like knowing jason that's just how he wakes someone up in the morning you know so i don't get think out of it bed was, this is cool day yeah i don't think it was anything different um but yeah that was it was a pretty fun community to grow up in small little illinois town called johnsburg and uh yeah the guida brothers were we're wrestling and doing crazy stuff, surviving uh, down in this little kind of a, I don't know, it was a small part of town, Pistake Highlands, is what it was called. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I was at parties 
earning gas money shooting eggs off two liter pop bottles i'd carry my bow around and we'd be at parties and i would just say anyone you just had it over your back I had Was it, it like truck. a, long, a long yeah. bow. Yeah, you just had, you just fucking show up to a yeah. party with your fucking air, arrow I, satchel at your side. I'd wait till everyone got wasted and then just start betting people on whether or not I could shoot eggs off these two liter two liter pop bottles, and I, that's what I do. Just shoot eggs. So did your parents get you an archery pretty young? Um, yeah, my, my, I really started it as a hunter. I mean, my family was, um, down in Mississippi, did a lot of hunting. It's just kind of part of the culture. If you're from the South, you, you're into deer hunting and turkey hunting. And hillbilly hand fishing. Yep. Yep. Noodling mm-hmm. or grabbing frog gigging. Like people don't get that either. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember being four years old, crawling around in, um, all of the, the little, Let's see, they were kind of, I don't know, I called them ditches, but they were all the, the little canals that ran along the edges of the cotton fields down in the Mississippi Delta. And we would kind of cruise around and gig bullfrogs and, you know, pretty much dodge water moccasins. And uh, I don't know, I tell my wife some of the stories about things that my parents would let me do. They just, you know, they'd go to work and then I actually don't remember it. I think once I was after from four to seven, I don't think I saw a parent during the during the day. So yeah, <laughs> you just go out and dodge water and strikes and gig frogs and you know shoot turtles with a BB gun. <laughs> I mean, it was true hillbilly stuff. Um, but I think that's what makes the South special. You have to have some of that stuff. Yeah, a little deeper connection to nature there. Yeah. And we'd then, go in um, canals and grab uh, crawdads and shit like that. I think that was the most mm-hmm. terrifying nature we saw in the Bay Area, California. <laughs> Some crawfish. <laughs> Fucking crawfish. <laughs> yeah. Those, it's amazing how terrifying those things look when they rear back and get those little pinchers out. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, well, especially at, when you're like six years old. Yeah. You think it's going to fucking take a finger off. Yeah. I was in uh, Florida one time. Yeah, it was in Florida, Naples, Florida. We bought some hermit crabs on the side of the road, and I bought this big sucker. I mean, it was in a full-blown conch shell. I don't know how old that thing was, but <laughs> could have been prehistoric. And he would never come out, and I was just getting pissed off, and I was holding this big conch shell, and there was just that one big claw that, like, blocked the opening. And I was sitting there just, like, tapping on it, like, freaking come out. You know, I wanted to see how big he was. And I remember someone asked me something across the room and i kind of looked and i was tapping and he must have opened that claw when i was looking the other way and i like went in there and he got me and i mean he was locked on and i remember just running around with this big conch shell on my freaking fingers (laughs) screaming like a little girl and uh yeah that was the last hermit crab i had uh and i'm surprised i still have my finger that that thing was uh vicious but yeah that was all the crazy little stuff i got into and then somehow decided to take up archery because it was for me it was uh, more challenging than than hunting with a gun and then once i started i don't know i feel like i've always gravitated towards something that i wasn't really good at because i want to figure it out mm. and i because it wasn't easy you know it, i could I, I just wanted to figure it out so i you know and then um, fast forward through towards the end of my high school career when I like actually got into shooting professionally, I was actually rehabbing my knee from from football because I had strained it 
and I was driving down this little side road um, in Illinois, um, and actually Clay would probably know where that that road was, but uh, I saw this little sign that said archery archery tournament or archery shoot or something, and I kind of thought, oh, what's that? You know, because when I when I was hunting and kind of doing my archery stuff, there wasn't like real targets. Now they have 3D targets that look like animals. Mm. They're made out of three, you know, three-dimensional foam. They have scoring rings in there. It was just, um, I don't know, it was at a different stage archery. But then when I went to that one shoot, they had like real targets. There were guys there with gear that I'd never seen. There's guys with like pro jerseys on. And I was just like, what is going on right now? You know, the days of just carrying your bow in your truck and shooting eggs off pop bottles in the yard are like long gone. This is a whole new game now. And uh, I went out and I sucked so bad at it. I lost all my arrows after about halfway and literally was pissed, left the parking lot, drove up to Wilmot, Wisconsin, uh bought some arrows at this gander mountain store drove back just so i could finish and then i remember all the guys that did good had these uh jerseys on with the name of a local archery shop that was about 45 minutes from us and literally monday morning i was in that shop just like being the weird guy staring at everyone in the corner just like what's he buying what is that thing and i was in the range going what's that site do why is your stabilizer so long like you know <laughs> asking all the 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 questions and then you know literally fast forward 11 months left a football scholarship for four bucks an hour working in an archery shop pouring concrete shooting bows fast forward another year and a half i'm shooting professionally and shooting all over the world i mean that's just weird how it works it's a pretty rapid rise it was and you've been all over the world right you've done competitions all over yeah probably probably pushing two million miles now damn yeah i'm, I'm getting close to my third passport fuck and it's all they're all stamped out yeah with extensions yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i only had one passport that i had stamped out from doing uh tours for the troops so we'd hit you know we'd go on like one two-week tour to southwest asia as they call it you know and hit like 10 countries in the middle east that you, kind of thing you don't get the stamps like you used to now no but, it's been a minute since i've gone yeah. anywhere so i mean you used to, like if you cross the border you're getting a stamp before now sometimes they just kind of maybe it's just mine they just kind of look at it and just throw it back at me plus i've got a passport now that's just a card like sometimes i've I seen those yeah sometimes i travel with the paper ones sometimes i don't I was all bummed out because when I filled my first one, I thought, yeah, that's filled. I'm going to get the second one. And then I sent it off and they sent it back and they just like, they literally taped another passport inside of it. It's like got like cell tape, like putting in more, <laughs> it's like page extensions is what they called it. So it like protrudes out a little bit, it looks all ganky, but. I don't Gotta know. have a spot for yeah, it in the I'm fanny like, pack. I'm filling this good. one. Surely they're not going to put another one in there. And yeah, after that one, they killed it. They drilled a hole in it, and that's it. It's retired. It, the card thing seems weird to me because it seems like that's the fucking easiest thing to fake. Like it seems like that would be a real issue for people trying to do some Silk Road shit. You know, have some some different identities and yeah, you skirt know, around. 
There's probably something Authorities. weird on it that we don't know about, like some kind of weird ink or something. Chip, that, hologram. Yeah, yeah something something kind of fishy going on there. I always got... Uh, they all Certain countries always question me pretty hard, too, because funny enough, both times I went for my passport pictures, normally I cut my own hair, but I, since it was my passport, I thought I should get a proper haircut. So I just went to a barber. So I got straight up high and tights both times. They give you the fucking crew cut. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's one haircut at yeah, this barber shop. Yeah. So as soon as they look at it, they're like, okay, this guy is definitely working for the military because it was straight up $7 high and tight. Like, you can tell him you want to feather it a little bit or kind of like it to the side. It did not matter. That sucker cuts one style. If there's the lollipop in front of there, they cut one style of haircut, and that's, <laughs> and that's what I got both times. So, so you started in archery. I mean, well, you started hunting, get big on the archery scene, and you circled back. Did you ever stop hunting in that time, or did you just start getting into it more as you got older? I've always hunting's always been pr top priority for me. Um, I have a saying that uh that i i say quite often is i'm a target archer to be a better bow hunter and i'm a i'm a bow hunter a better bow hunter because i'm a target archer um i really wanted to become more accurate as a bow hunter which is why i started shooting at some clubs and shooting at some targets i just wanted to be a better bow hunter because you know my first several years i'm you know i missed a lot i'd wait a long time for an opportunity and then you know, when it came down to it, I'd come unglued. You and I actually talked about this today when we were coming here from the airport. We were talking about um, kind of performance anxiety and how you deal with, you know, like adrenaline if you've never had to deal with it before. We were talking, I think we were on the subject of Clay and Jason. You were saying, I don't, I don't know why some fighters want to get so ramped up before they go in because once the cage closes, like that's coming anyway, so you you know you kind of need to keep yourself contained until you, maybe until you need it. And I I was saying, I think there's this fine line when it comes to that fight or flight trigger, to where when if it happens too early, you know if it happens very early, some of your adrenaline can wear off and you can compose yourself again. But if it happens like at just the right amount of time before you have to perform. If you've never dealt with it, it's almost overwhelming. Like you, you know, I've like I told you, I've seen people that I've been hunting with that literally pull their bow back. I'm like, dude, no arrow. You don't have an arrow in there <laughs> because they're just so <clears throat> jacked up from having an animal that close to them. Um, especially the more dangerous. Like um, I've been on hunts with guys that are doing like grizzlies, bears for the first time is pretty pretty common. Um, and some guy, you know, every now and then, like Andy Stump, um, mutual friend of ours, he went on a elk hunt with us, with me earlier, uh, well, it was last year, his first ever hunt, we're hunting elk, uh, but we both had bear tags and deer tags too. And we're covering a lot of miles. I think we were, I think we were averaging maybe about 11 miles a day covering ground and we came around this one corner and here's some big boar bears like kind of 
there was actually three of them and they were just brawling it out in this like we're literally in the middle of nowhere and there here's these three boars just like brawling it out and they're fighting over this patch of like green clover and i told andy i said load up dude he's like what i'm like load up we're gonna smoke one of these suckers and he's like all right and he ended up uh kind of things happened fast he ended up missing and then it went off and because the bear didn't know what that sound was it actually came back to the sound so i could see it i could see the bushes moving and i could i could see his legs posturing underneath the foliage and i said reload reload and he's like what and i said reload pull back and also i said point your bow right there i said he's coming and all of a sudden he came out and you know we were face to face with this thing and he stuffed one right in his chest and he's just like well that's kind of cool and i just looked at him like are you not jacked at all and he's like <laughs> he's like should i be and i'm fucking like fucking navy seal yeah you're like, like fuck you you're the least fun to hunt yeah. with out of anybody yeah i said you know yeah i kind of want to thought for sure i'd hear a little fart or something it's kind of <laughs> a little squeak over there but no he was all cool and composed and uh it was because all that happened so fast um but there's also times where you know if something comes in you're looking at it and you start thinking about what you're gonna do and it seems like the more time you have to think about it sometimes that can be a negative because you overthink the situation um you know, I feel I feel like I'm that way sometimes when I go golfing. If I really haven't thought about golfing and I go and just go and just swing, I can hit good for the first few times. But then once I start thinking about what I need to do to make a good golf swing, then it totally goes to crap. Yeah, knees slightly bent, shoulders <laughs> down and back, yeah. arms straight. Look at the ball. You look know at the more target. About it than I do. Well, there's fucking. I I I, I had a uh, a buddy of mine when I was at ASU who was a club pro down in Chandler, and so I'd get to golf for free, and he'd give me free privates, and I'd I'd uh, teach him some shit and hook him up with some weed, and uh, <laughs> it was it was a great it was a great deal, you know. And so, but it's funny because like even with a guy that's that high level, the best guys will dumb it down for you, you know. Yeah. And he did a great mm -hmm. job doing that for me. I can't golf for shit. Now I haven't touched a club in 10 years, but then I was getting all like decent enough to play with others and not hit it off into fucking somebody else, you know? And um, that's the thing though. There's so much to remember, but in your situation, it'd be like if the golf ball only touched the tee for a moment, you know, like you have just a moment where the yeah. golf ball's there where you can even take a crack at it, mm -hmm. right? For like, if you're relating it to a hunting situation, yeah, shot opportunities are, it's a window. It's a window of time but it's funny like what you said about your buddy dumbing things down now i've kind of i guess my reputation as a coach has really flourished you know over these last few years and the reason i think people relate to me is because everything that i teach is really based off everything that i learned that i personally did the wrong way for a long time and, you know, there were 20 years where I was trying to figure out, you know, I was reading what I can, picking other people's brains. And I literally feel like I did every single thing wrong before I figured out the way that was right. And so now I've kind of dumbed down my whole archery process to where it's, it's systematic. It's very minimal in the system. 
but it's easier for people to remember it. And it focuses on the most common areas where form breaks down. So, you know, I'm literally eliminating the majority of a lot of mistakes people make. And I think because it's so simplified, the mass majority of people can pick it up and be good very quick. Um, and I think that's, you know, when it comes to any sport, anyone I've ever learned, if I wasn't good at it, it's because I didn't know the fundamentals correct at the very, very beginning. But if you learn the fundamentals from the very, very, very beginning, then, you know, it's, it's that way. And it seems like in any sport, no matter how high of a level you get, when teams really break down, it seems like it's always a fundamental breakdown. Like for football, it's tackles when they're like, how can they not make a tackle? I yeah, mean, or they shoot themselves, they're fucking getting delayed game penalties on the offense. Yeah. Shit yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, like snap count, like you would think, okay, how many, you know, what are we, 15, 20 years in, you know what on two means, right? Um, you know, guy coming across, you know, you have to make a tackle, you know, get low shoulder across wrap up right i mean then it seems like okay this guy's been playing 20 years he's still trying to grab a sleeve like you know <laughs> he's still not square <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I'm so gonna come and hit him from an angle it always comes to fundamentals and i assume it's probably the same way in fighting you know no doubt yeah the best in the world it's for i look at jujitsu especially the best in the world in jujitsu, even if they can do some crazy shit like a flying armbar or whatever, mm -hmm. they've mastered the basics. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way they get to those crazy finishes is through mastery of the basics and employing that. You just don't see it. Like most people don't witness that level of of excellence in the basics. You know, like Hadra Gracie when he I forget which which uh which worlds he won and I'm sorry for all the jujitsu fans that know I'm fucking this up, but I think he finished everyone with an, with a mounted Ezekiel choke mm -hmm. for an Ezekiel. He would just, and he did like four guys in a row, best in the world. He yeah. fucking mounts them, puts them in the same little, like, you know, it's coming and you can't stop it, Yeah, but it didn't matter. Right. And it was, his, it was, it was not only his approach, it was the way he would systematically gain that position and then that choke no matter what. And he did it on every fucking single guy to the Even championship. Even when you knew it was coming. Yep. Yeah. Just phenomenal, right? See, that's what I think makes it impressive is the fact that he's honed it in that much to where it's that sharp that even when someone knows that it's coming, he can still just say, this is how it works. And, I mean, football's like that too. One of my early coaches told me, you know, every single offensive play is designed to score if all 11 guys – literally hit their man right but then obviously you got the defensive side has kind of you know the same counter so it's funny when even at a pro level like a 34 dive scores a freaking touchdown because you're like okay this is literally day one of peewee football you know yeah you, you, <laughs> literally, learn, that yeah, you literally learn guard pushes in tackle pushes out you know we literally have a 34 dive. Everyone picks up a guy and, you know, literally let the let the running back beat the safety and we got a touchdown. And it's funny when you see that play score even in the NFL. But, you know, again, it just comes down to basics and really refining that in. Yeah, and so much of that comes, like, how do you master anything in life? It's, it's consistency. 
and it's you know like every football coach it's not perfect it's not it's not a what is it what is it on perfection god damn it alpha brain kick in i ate carbohydrates today I'm that's my that's my right fail, fail safe here um Pra- yeah, it's perfect not practice pra- makes perfect. perfect it's practice. perfect practice yep. that I'm, makes perfect, right? I'm a big and consistency in that, in that right? Mm-hmm. So same thing, like you, and it's kind of like Bruce Lee would say, you know, it's not he's not afraid of the man who's who knows ten thousand kicks. He's afraid of the man who know who's done one kick ten thousand times. Yep, because that's a fucking perfect kick. Yep, he knows exactly the angle, the distance, the timing, all of it. It's all built in. Right, so working those things over and over again correctly. Because if you had anybody, you take anybody in MMA or football or wherever, if they train like shit with a shit coach for a certain, you got to unpack all that before you get to build something new. So it must be easier for you as a coach to work with guys that are fresh. Oh yeah, yeah. Women are women are typically the best um, athletes to coach because there's no there's not a macho factor you know they are they really are folk they want to know the process they're like really in, interested in it you can tell them to do something and they just kind of put them put what they think they know to the side and then they just do it whereas a lot of guys are like it's a bow give it to me i'll show you how it works i've been doing this since i was a caveman <laughs> but you know and then Set they're like their oh shit first. i ripped the skin off my forearm it's like yep okay can i show you how to do it now please um yeah i think uh i think with any of that stuff having i like having fresh clay as a you know i don't mind someone that's very i guess advanced in their skill a lot of times and I'm not sure if it's like this in, in your field, but what I find with competitive athletes in archery is, you know, there's this cycle. They'll they'll learn a lot, try to get to a level where they're good. They become really good. They kind of have their heyday. You know, a new guy moves in, starts to kind of be the top dog. They'll start to doubt what they're doing. Maybe they'll change some things or they'll try to fall onto some placebos of equipment that they think might help them change. And then all of a sudden they they lose confidence and then they get to the point where they're like falling back to a a coach like me where, you know, at one point they didn't really feel like they needed. And then they come back and they're like, what do I need to do? And, you know, for me, normally it's like, okay, we're going to go right back to the basics. You know this, but let's, you know, we're going to strip everything down. We're going to start at the beginning and then we're just literally going to just start archery at 101 and move forward and then all of a sudden they're right back to level 10 quick because you know they've eliminated so much of the you know i guess a lot of times it's confusion within your own mind it's self-doubt you know self-doubt derails way more high level athletes i think than than other athletes around them that's one thing with archery is it's an individual sport and one of the hardest hurdles to overcome is realizing that if you have a shot that's good enough to get you there, that's all you need to do. I mean, it's not like, it's not like my perfect shot shoots a 10, but now all of a sudden there's this competitor next to me that can shoot an 11. I mean, he, he still shoots tens. I still shoot tens. All I need is my shot that gets me here to shoot that 10. 
But it's funny the way the brain works. All of a sudden you start thinking, well, this guy's got more than I got, which he doesn't. You know, both your arrows are scoring the same thing if they if they both hit home. It's just a matter of who is who has the most confidence in their game. You know, that's really who comes out ahead, at, at least at the higher levels. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what's really hard to teach the the younger people. Like you said, someone that knows that's done the same kick ten thousand times, he's probably going to get way further than knowing 10,000 kicks that he's tried once. I relate this in archery to guys that have multiple bows. They have like multiple release aids, which lets the string grow. Um, there's like different styles. Guys that will try, you know, different arrows every week. I mean, you never, you know, with with like martial arts, you are the tool. So, you know, it's not like you're going out and this time you get to fight with, you know, some kind of new glove and next I'll time. I'll have an 89-inch reach in my next fight. Yeah, Let me just test exactly. that out. Yeah, exactly. So imagine if you could do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine how many fighters would liter- probably lose their freaking minds. Like, if, if fighters could could adjust themselves like on a video game where you're like i'm gonna go in full power this time but my my flexibility is gonna be lower (laughs) you know if you could if you could adjust those things imagine how messed up some guys like some of the greats probably would have never been the greats because they would have been playing with all these things rather than just refining their one tool themselves Mm -hmm. that's what gets hard with archery uh, golf would be another good example because you have clubs, you have different balls. They're, it's all placebos. And I think anytime you have more offerings of placebos, people lose less ability to really refine their mental strength. And, you know, that's for me, I think a lot of my success and a lot of my repeatability and most of my accuracy right now falls off. The fact that some of the stuff that I have on my bow is they don't even make it anymore because it's just like companies are like, why are you still shooting that? We don't even sell it. You know, can you please use the new one? And it's just like, it worked. Like (laughs) I figured out how to use it. I can do it in my sleep. You know, I can, it doesn't matter how long I've practiced or how little I've practiced it feels the exact same to me and my muscle memory just agrees with it you know and i think i think a lot of a lot of athletes out there if they took that advice they would probably make leaps and bounds at a way faster rate than being the the fast one to just change equipment all the time change equipment all the time because you never learn your body you know you have to you have to be in tune with your body yeah, there's there's something to that in MMA, you know, where guys they kind of do the merry-go-round from camp to camp. Like, I want to train with this guy, I want to train with that guy, and and there's something to training at a lot of different places. You know, not a lot, but a few different places where you get a different look from different coaches, a different look from different sparring partners, maybe some new ideas. And if your base level foundation is high enough, you can take those those bits and pieces and add them to your game and to your toolbox. Right, because you know who you are as a fighter. But a lot of people that just bounce from camp to camp, they never have a home base. They're never rooted in philosophy. Mm. So when they get to the fight, it's like, 
uh, I want to try this out or I want to try that out. Or you get a coach that, you know, I had a coach that fucking changed the game plan three times in camp. And I was like, no, it's the original fucking game plan for better or worse. Mm. It doesn't get changed four weeks before the fight. It doesn't get changed two weeks before the fight a third time. It's game plan one. And if that fails, then we fucking make accommodations and adjustments. That's it. You know, and that was the best game plan by far. So it's just, it's, it's funny though, because you know, that I guess could be that one thing, you know, or who else is chiming in, you know, those kind of things get into it. How much, how much in your coaching do you focus on quieting the mind, stealing, especially, I mean, obviously it's a big deal in competition, but especially in hunting when you have that, that elk fever or whatever animals in front of you. Yeah. Well, I don't really get to go that deep with there's not a lot of hunters that are trying to get to like that type of level when it comes to competitive archers you know that's almost like that's a pretty high level tier where you you know because a lot of people at first you're trying to really just get them to the point where you know they understand the difference between a good shot and a bad shot then you also want them to get to the point where they're able to identify those and and correct. One of my big things as a coach is teaching people that at a high level, every every high level archer out there is going to make a mistake um, throughout a weekend of tournaments. Someone's going to shoot a bad arrow. The ones that the ones that continually are on the podiums are the ones that when they make one bad shot, they don't let it turn into two. Or if they make one or two, they don't let it turn into five, six. Like they don't go ends upon ends where they're like, yeah, on my scorecard, I just had that 20 minutes where I was just off. They identify when they have a breakdown and, you know, as soon as the wheels wobbly, they can correct it and get back on track faster than the other guys that are having maybe the same issues. And that's the case in like when you're dealing with shooting with wind, you know, all of a sudden the wind starts changing, you get a 10 mile an hour crosswind, you get someone that shoots down there and they look and they know they know that their form was tight, their shot broke tight and they're eight inches off. You know, they can, if they know their setup well enough, they can, you know, compensate with like their level or they might make a few clicks on their site and then they're just pounding, pounding, pounding. Then all of a sudden, maybe that wind switches to a, a headwind or a tailwind, which sometimes a headwind can give your arrow lift and sometimes it can give it push. So just like reading, you know, making that one shot and having enough faith in your shot to where when you look down there at 70 meters in the spotting scope and you're like, okay, that that's pushed out the out the top then you can make adjustments and get back on track rather you know whereas the guys that are in fourth fifth sixth place that might take them five six seven arrows to get that so i think i think depending on their level teaching them how to quiet their mind get back on track it's i don't know every athlete is so different too you know it depends on the level when you're working with beginners or intermediate people you can teach them basics on you know if you're if you feel like your heart rate's ramping up you know you really need to um i'm really big on finding some type of a trigger to try to bring to try to get control of my conscious thoughts again um one thing that i was taught was 
when you're conscious, you know, it takes your conscious thought to trigger fight or flight. So like an adrenaline trip isn't really going to happen from a subconscious. You know, you have to see something, your, you know, your conscious thoughts have to be fixated on the fact of I'm stepping in the octagon right now. This is a fight. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, here, okay, maybe for some it's when the cage closes. Maybe for some that trigger starts right when their music starts, when they're walking out. And trying to regain control of your conscious mind to where the subconscious starts doing the breathing and, you know, kind of your heart rate. If you let that fall onto the subconscious, it tends to go back down to baseline. If your conscious is thinking about the breathing and the heart rate, it seems to, it seems like spike, you know, you Mm -hmm. can consciously really think about controlling your breathing and managing your breathing. And then your heart rate will come down with that. But if you let the two of them just kind of have a free for all, then, you know, you're in for, literally a ride of adrenaline so when is that going to wear off you know for some it might be there for a while and then here comes the crash for some for some they realize it's happening and they're like whoa i don't want to like i don't want to go out of this cannon totally loose like this with jacked full of adrenaline where i'm tremor and i want i have to pull this in to where it's manageable for me and i've always found that you know your conscious thoughts are what's going to pull that stuff back to baseline you know you have mm. to be able to you, and you have to be in those those situations the more you put yourself in those situations the more you deal with it which is for me um why i don't compete now is because i would feel completely different competing right now because the way my schedule is there's no way i could just go on all the tours when i shot before I would shoot up to 30 to 35 professional events in a year. I mean, that's almost every, you know, three days, every, every weekend, almost I was at an event competing. So there was only ever three or four days between competitions where I was at home. I was probably changing equipment, maybe taking a day off, you know, trying to get, you know, what I could uh, done at work. And, I was constantly like in the ice. I mean, I was in the ice water the whole time. I never came out and like acclimated the other way. I feel like it's harder to like step away and then come back in with that game face and like to deal with those nerves when you haven't, you know, but when you have control of them and you've got the the death grip on them and you haven't let go yet, it's really easy to, to ride it out. So now I just try to, I try to compete enough to where I feel like I can manage, and I shouldn't say compete, but I like to shoot and stay on edge as an archer. I like to go to events. I like to, I pick a couple of events a year where I'll go and shoot in front of crowds or you know I'll shoot in front of big groups at schools or something where I'm performing. Sometimes I'll just do practice rounds where I just go live. I'll just turn on my live feed and literally just let people watch me shoot because for me, I know there's thousands of people that are watching, and if I miss an arrow, you know, I, and I'm striving to shoot a perfectly clean round. You know, I'm trying to shoot a perfect 300 if I'm shooting an indoor round. I know people are watching. I know they're keeping track of my score. 
So I try to put myself in those situations, not because I want to compete anymore, but because I want to be able to manage my nerves when it comes to hunting. Like mm. I want to be able to, in my mind, when the shot presents itself, like you're talking about that small window, for me, my my trigger word, like when I know it's it's this is like TKO time, when I say checkmate, when I call checkmate, like it's game over. I know that thing is going to be leaking. Is that, does that word pop in your head when you're hunting as well? Oh, I, people have told me they've heard me say it. Like when, <laughs> when, that, when I'm in that zone, I don't really recognize that I get there, but a lot of people tell me I have this like weird intensity that you know, sometimes is cold. But, but it's yeah it's i don't know it's i mean it is a life or death situation it's not necessarily for me um depending on the animal it could be but i'm just really intent on making a perfect shot and i just you know i'm like really i mean it, it's like i don't know it's like a match for me you know it's it's a chess match and these things are really, really smart. You know, they're wild animals that are surviving every day of their life. They're not like us where they can all of a sudden because they're in their car and going to in and out burger that, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like if humans had to live during Mad Max time, you know, we would all be pretty damn in tune to surviving. Maybe one day. Yeah, could happen. <laughs> Uh, and you'll want to have hunting skills when that happens, by the way. Um, otherwise, you're going to have some crazy guy popping up going, checkmate. <laughs> Freaking what? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I've, I've just, uh, I've always felt like as a hunter, if you're getting serious about shooting something, you need to be 100% serious on being the best you can at it. And that's why I started shooting target archery. That's still to this day why I why I train. I mean, I'm not going and lifting and training every day to to you know to to go and to have this be, glorious body yeah. before me. Yeah, I don't post I don't post shirtless photos. So uh, no, I'm a hundred percent doing it because if I get a call and someone says, Do you wanna go do this hunt? I wanna be able to go. Like I wanna be able to go right now and I wanna be able to you know, I've got some pretty basic rules. I like to be the first guy out in the morning. I like to be the last guy back. And I like to, I don't know, I, I really, I don't ever like it when my guide is in better shape than me. Mm. But there's sometimes, no matter how much I've tried to make that not ha happen, there's some studs out there that just like run mountains every day. And... You're not signing you, up for that shit? Yeah. You, well, I would sign up, but you can't keep up. Like some of these guys that have done it their whole life, it's almost like their their lungs are of a whole different anatomy. They're like the Sherpas yeah, taking exactly. people up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a perfect example. You know, you look at people that have like shoes that are like put on their feet with duct tape or something and, you know, no long johns or whatever, and you're up there and, you know, wool and down and freezing your nuts off and got the best boots you could buy and you're still like oh man my freaking ankles i got a blister on my toe and, and then you look over and you're like okay yeah you gotta shut up here these guys are i have fucking scars on my heel <laughs> from 
last fall when I did my first hunt. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I had brand new fucking boots. And we did 15 miles a day for the first two days, then had to scale it back because, I yep. mean, it was wearing, like, getting close to the bone. Andy had quite a beauty. Um, he got a he got a heck of a blister, too, the first day. And he taught me a pretty good tip, actually. I didn't know duct tape worked so good. I started just duct taping my feet. And it worked really good. I'm gonna see if I can find Andy's hole in his foot. It was, uh, I just told myself, I'm like, don't be a baby around this guy. Freaking, gotta get after it. Uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned that though, going back about not wanting, like wanting to be ready at all times, you mm -hmm. know? And I've wanted to get into bow hunting for a while. And uh, I've actually had quite a few people tell me about you before coming on it, you know? And, and uh, and I just had Ben Greenfield hit me and Aubrey up and Aubrey's obviously got his book launched, but he was like, Hey man, I'm doing, I'm going back to, to big Island, going to go bow, bow hunting and uh, invited us. And I was like, motherfucker, I still don't have a bow and I have a practice. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, I'm a fucking liability. I think they're going real quick. Aren't they? Yep. He's yeah. going with, um, Ryan. Yeah. He's going like ASAP like yeah. in a week or two. Yeah. I got so, a, Ryan sent me a message to ask me if I wanted, I think they're spearfishing too. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like the fucking greatest trip of all time. We'll get you dialed in today uh -huh. and uh, we'll see if we can get you on, get you on point in like a five day training. Those trips, it sucks when you have to, when you get invited on something like that and you can't do it. I, yeah. I it was mean, a complete fucking bummer. Yeah. You know, absolute bummer. But I also know from experience too, like there's, there's just zero point right now. You know, it's like I, when I was on the Ultimate Fighter, I was uh, barely a white belt in jujitsu, and I had I was on uh, Coach Nogueira, so one of the greatest heavyweight jujitsu artists, is my coach for eight weeks. He brings in Anderson Silva, Lyoto Machida, both black belts in jujitsu, and I look back on that time and I think of what a fucking waste it was that I wasn't a higher belt. Yeah. Cause like I would have learned so much more as a purple belt or a brown belt. Mm. And they had to teach me just the fucking dumbed down, like the, you know, like here's a guillotine. Here's how you fight hands. You know, just like, this is what guard is Yeah, like shit like that, you know? So, but that's, that's nice to be able to look back on that and then know like, all right, I want to be at a certain level. Mm. So when I get that invite, it's, it's yeah, let's do it. You know? And thankfully Aubrey's got a nice pad. There's a spot to go to. And, and, uh, we've got places in town here in Austin, you know, it's a good, uh, good community in Texas. It's not like I'm in California. So there's, yeah. there's plenty of places to go shooting and, um yeah you're in a great spot here you've got a great archery shop here um archery countries in town Aubrey, you can shoot at aubrey's obviously uh yeti's got some cool stuff i mean you've, you've yeti's been, great man yeah. they're, they're freaking awesome people yeah. man they've been they've been hooking us up they sent me out a giant cooler i was like this just having this makes me want to go camping now like like just having this giant cooler yeah it probably takes up the entire trunk of my prius but that's cool <laughs> i'm thinking i might be the only guy in texas with a prius but no. that's, that's that's all good well shit i think we're, we're burning through time here let's get to these questions because you had some really good questions people wrote in all right i'm gonna hand them over and you i'll can... read them out and i'll let you jump on it first and i'll piggyback on no one on cares stuff that i know opinion. about fuck that man your they, opinions they, they damn sure want your opinion there's certain things for sure that I won't be able to answer like repetitive stress injuries when it comes to archery. Well, we don't have to, we don't have to talk about that. No, man, that's, that's her. You're the fuck got the bionic bicep. That's, I'm sure we'll people want to know about that. that. That's, Let's take it from that's the top. That's right at the top. Yep. That's right up there at the 
straight straight way outdoors asks middle aged man asks does Onnit offer vitamin supplements that are type one diabetic insulin dependent friendly? Are there any techniques offered that incorporate kung fu or other Eastern philosophy? I'm curious because I recently started Tai Chi for health and absolutely love it. Is there academy or trainer in Dallas? So we don't have an academy in Dallas. It's it's uh. <sighs> I kind of want to tease this guy for asking if we have Kung Fu. Um, but I, I'm, I'm taking this as a serious question. Oddly enough, I would make fun of Kung Fu. I won't make fun of Tai Chi because Paul Chet got me into Tai Chi. It's a fucking amazing practice for movement meditation. So a mm -hmm. lot of people bitch to me like I can't sit in a room quietly or I can't sit in a dark room or I need something. Right. So I tell them Aubrey and I are big proponents of binaural beats, things like mm -hmm. that. You can listen to this thing. It's brainwave entrainment and that really helps with meditation but tai chi is excellent and it gets you outdoors there's something about being in nature right dr andy galpin talked about that in his and grounding book. grounding man right. yeah take your fucking shoes off there's no doubt um type one diet i mean we don't make anything medically available so and in fact we're not allowed to say any one of our products uh but as a supplement in nature i don't think any supplement company can make a medical claim so yeah. disclaimer but uh aside from that you know i think that anything that helps blood sugar management is going to be good uh, a lot of the products that we offer from power food active and vitality the recovery proteins they're all going to be low glycemic which mm -hmm. will help um type 1 diabetes is, is a is a tricky deal you know because it's it's not like you fucked up and you got like you likely had it your whole life right but i would say the products that have little to do with blood sugar that are going to be good are going to be alpha brain total gut health things like that uh active b can help with energy production and things of that nature and then if you're in dallas man just come down get your ass out here for a certification you know if you do um we do the kettlebell certs steel mace certs any of these things and i'll talk quite a bit about the, those things as we get into some of the other questions that we looked at earlier but those are excellent because you can learn something in a weekend that you can take with you the rest of your life and people always ask me like hey you know what do i do if i can't make it to the gym or i can't do this or i can't do that like buy one fucking kettlebell yeah leave it in your car or leave it at your house and you always have a gym with you you know you can hit your entire body with that between the kettlebell and bodyweight exercise you don't need a whole lot else you know like that's that's going to cover a lot do you know uh, Frank Zane told me that back when he was doing uh, like Boy Scout camps and stuff, like teaching, he was teaching and stuff. He actually would just carry a he had a, a fifty pounds on a single dumbbell that he'd carry in a pillowcase, and he would like he talks about the fact that everyone says he's the most symmetrical. He would do single single weight like single dumbbell movements because he could carry it in a pillowcase so he just you know would do single arm curls single arm freaking shoulder presses single arm chest presses you know single freaking single dumbbell squats like he would literally carry the stuff around and that's all he had to do and the other thing too is if you're in an area like dallas don't be afraid to uh to jump on your social media make a post of a kettlebell and say hey i'm in the dallas area i really would love to get certified with this if we get 20 guys we can have you know on it come up and do a cert right here at one of our local places that's actually what one of our um crossfit places in that were close to me in, in um iowa they were talking about wanting to get steel mace certification so i just told isik how many people do you need to be able to come and justify doing a clinic at a local club 
And believe it or not, if you've got enough people, um, and it, do, it really doesn't take that much, you can have the whole show come to you and get a certification for that. You know, that's another way to look at it. And you'll know that your whole life. Yeah. You know, it's amazing what you can learn in a few days. When it comes to uh, the sugar, I actually uh, really struggled several years ago with uh, just I got to an age where my metabolism just really changed you know kind of my hormone levels changed and i just pretty much became hypoglycemic and i went through um i got up to i think 251 pounds uh i gained weight rapidly over the course of uh about 10 months and i ended up getting you know i kept telling doctors like something's different i don't know what it is but something's different about me and it was pretty much i just hit a point where I wasn't producing correctly um, the different type, you know, my insulin, uh, my insulin, my testosterone, which all these things are important when it comes to like your muscle receptors. And, you know, when it comes to sugar attaching in the muscle receptor, you know, if you have a low testosterone number and you have a high insulin spike, you know, it's a terror, it's a recipe for disaster. So I actually um, made some huge improvements one in um, the supplements that I took that I take. Um, actually, before I used Onnit products, which Joe hooked me up with, because I told him I was trying some other stuff. I'm like, man, I am like gaining weight on this stuff, but it's not the weight that I want to to gain. Once you start reading the labels, that's really the separator. You know, when you look at labels and fillers, the more products that are on there where you can't pronounce them, the, you know, those are products that are probably not supposed to even be in the body. So really what was happening was, you know, I was almost overproducing insulin, you know, literally just turning into this big fat storage machine and any type of sugar that I have, and I'm still this way, if I have sugar for multiple days, like if I, if I order dessert three or four days in a row on a vacation, I'll gain weight. I mean, I can, I could, pig out on protein or whatever but it you know or even high fat food but if i eat sugar i'm gaining weight like right now so you know i started one paying attention to that making sure i could read labels and make sure i could pronounce what's on the label but also um i learned a really good trick when it comes to helping manage your um your insulin spikes in i always put a fat in my body before a sugar. So in other words, like if Monday nights, two for one margaritas in, uh, in <laughs> Iowa, by the way. So I know I'm going to hit a margarita. So here's the two things um, that I was taught to do that have really helped. One is, you know, when you're really active and your testosterone is naturally boosted, you know, you help minimize that insulin spike. So if I know that we're having you know, me and my wife are going to go have margaritas on a Monday. I'll plan my even my workouts to be an evening workout to where I'll literally get done, go home, shower, get ready. We'll go. And that way, when I show up and have my margarita, I'm still kind of jacked up from a good workout. And it really helps minimize your insulin spikes. And then on top of that, if you put a slow digestive fat in your stomach ahead of the sugar then you're also going to dramatic bottleneck everything it yeah, just slows it down yeah, right? you literally slow down this insulin spike so you don't have a 
so you don't have this massive crash. So um, it's funny yeah. you mention this because this is exactly in this book right here. Own is the it? day with Aubrey Which Marcus. Which part is it in? It's is it in uh, the eating. It's in the best way to drink. Best way to drink. So we time really? our workouts in Son the uh, biscuit. late afternoon, early evening. <clears throat> no matter what your tool of the trade is, whether that's cannabis or alcohol, that's going to be best absorbed post-workout mm -hmm. because your body's craving glycogen at that yeah. point, right? And that's something Ben Greenfield has been big on is carbohydrate backloading, right? He'll hit his workouts, not in a fasted state, but semi-fasted. You know, he'll, he'll have most of his carbohydrates in the evening at dinner. And by doing that, he's bleeding off carbohydrates that he has stored from the night before, still getting the most out of his workouts, but he has like this... This, and this might be hard for someone who's type 1 diabetic, but um, for everyone else listening to this, you know, eating your carbohydrates at night, if you're a carb eater, is going to dramatically impact how your body can use both fuel systems, using fat for fuel during the daytime, staying a bit more satiated from higher fat, higher protein, and then still getting carbohydrates to replenish the liver and the muscle glycogen in the evening. But, you know, like we were saying earlier, if you start your day with a fucking donut or a bagel, two hours later carbohydrates crash you're going to be hungry for more carbohydrates it's just the way it goes so rather than going on that roller coaster all day long keep things maintained nice and even with some mcts a little bit of good fat some protein have a nice salad something else this low carb for lunch then dinner you can hit your your carbohydrates wired to eat also a great book to read by my man rob wolf we had him on the podcast here so you can listen to that one um excellent resource for figuring out which carbohydrates are right for you all right next can I, what, can I, I go, know jump on it, jump ones, on it. But uh, yeah, they call me the avocado man because <laughs> I always, when, before I'll even drink my first margarita, I always try to start eating some avocado slices just to get that food in your stomach. You know, that you fat, hit a little sea salt you, on there or you just eat them plain? I eat them plain. I, I'll I can't do it. I want like the salt. Fat. Really? Yeah, I want the salt on there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, a big, nut, that's, I struggle with that. Like I know Ben's big in a lot of salt. I've uh -huh. never really been into salt, the taste of it. So I have just enough. Um, but another thing you can do too, for those of you listening, this is like we've talked about some, you know, nuts and bolts to a better way of, you know, literally you're gonna if you if you decide um, if nothing else, here's a couple easy fundamentals. One is something that I called having. This is something that Frank Zane. Um, started me on the very first time I worked with him. Um, him and I used to trade archery for health, you know, consultations. And uh, one of the first things he did was he actually just had me have everything in relation to sugars and carbs. So I didn't change anything for the first year about how I normally go out and eat at the same places and whatever. If I went to, you know, my local burger joint and got a burger, all I would do is immediately you know take half of the french fries slide them off the plate take half the bun put it off the plate and that's what i started with half of the fries half the bun then it got to the point where you start realizing i don't really even like those that much so you naturally start eating even half of those so then you get to the point where you're like i'm gonna give myself a few i actually don't really need the bun so apply that practice you know Take whatever you're doing now and just have the carbs or have the sugars. So if you know you're drinking three cans of Coke right now a day, you know, cut it down to two, then cut it down to one. You're going to notice a big difference just in having carbs and sugars. Then the next thing is double the distance. This is something I started doing on top of what Frank had told me in relation to having. 
um, I started doubling the distance. And by that, I mean, every time I go to a parking lot, I don't try to find the closest spot. I park twice as far away as what I want to walk just to get myself to walk twice as far. And then also try to do like your shopping or your go through the grocery store at double the pace of what you would want to do. Um, all these things are like super, super simple. They're super minimal. But if you're the type of person who's sitting there and saying, I don't know how I can really change my life. I don't know how I can turn it around. These are two super simple things and they will compound on one another. Having, you know, literally cutting in half those intakes of those two things and literally doubling your pace in life and maybe going twice as far to get to something simple, you're going to make a life change. It's just give it give it a month's time you won't believe the difference and it's going to be what you see is going to be your motivation to push it one step further hell yeah brother we crushed that one question nailed it <laughs> we, we're going over time here but there's too many good questions so i don't want to fucking cut we're, we're going over an hour on this podcast i don't give a fuck uh let's see here what are the best ways to improve metabolism I've always just felt so exhausted, even while I was in the army, really needing to improve this aspect of my life to improve my overall health. Who said it? You got to give him credit. Halon8569. All right. Halon. Halon. So I would say, I mean, there's, there's a few things here. One, you know, uh, to try to answer these a little shorter, I'm going to just throw out some resources and then we can still add in our tidbits. But I think a great way to shift metabolism is to work on metabolic flexibility, which is a concept that Mark Sisson pioneered or didn't, maybe didn't pioneer, but talks quite a bit about in the keto reset diet. And this is not a prescription for everyone to go into ketosis for the rest of their life. I think that's bullshit. But it's this idea that if we do an eight week diet that's low carbohydrate, high in fat and moderate in protein, that that will create metabolic flexibility. So when we go back to eating carbohydrates, we have a little less insulin resistant. We're a little bit better able to utilize that. Our pancreas has less workload for those eight weeks. And then when we come back, everything works properly, right? And then of course, wired to eat where we can actually figure out which carbohydrates are doing the most damage and which are the best for us. Between those two books, I think you can figure out a lot. Working out fasted has been an excellent way for me to drop pounds. It's an excellent way to boost cardio. It's not the most fun. I don't have the most energy after that. If I have an, an interview with John Dudley this afternoon, I'm not going to fucking do fasted cardio first thing in the morning before that because I might have a slightly less upstairs for that interview. But with that, on days where I know I have maybe an easier day or, or a little less to do at the office, fasted cardio can go miles for boosting metabolism throughout the day. Yep. Well, another thing too is uh, Aubrey's new book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. Uh, the very first chapter, there's actually very, very important principles to this. A lot of times people don't realize what their baseline is in their, because their daily routine could slightly be off. Like, for example, you might, I saw a guy um, when I was actually heading out to Rogan's, went to the airport, I got a coffee, literally got a black coffee, went, put full cream in it, nothing but cream. You know, I want to have some fat. The guy next to me, that he literally screwed the lid off the sugar and just started <laughs> pouring it in. And I was like, I almost had enough time to like Insta story it. I took my phone out, I like unlocked it, hit camera, slid it to video, and he was just finishing up by the time I hit play. 
And it's like, dude, if you're that guy, you don't realize the reason you're you're feeling sluggish is because of the fact that you're literally riding this insulin train that is a never win battle for you ever. So um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give away the No, book. give it away. We already talked about this. So have fucking you, hammer it home, man. It? Yeah. Um, so, and I actually put this to use. Um, part of the reason why I was having my morning coffee at the airport was because one of the things that Aubrey talks about is how you start your day different so that you actually wake up the body. There's three parts to that, and I'll cover just the one. The one that I found to be um, one of the most positive was the fact that you have to hydrate first thing in the morning, and coffee is not a good hydration tool. Um, Hydrating properly, which he has a really good cocktail in there for a morning hydration. Lemon, sea salt, water, yeah. Yeah, it's lemon, Himalayan sea, uh, sea salt. And, you know, it's nice to mix it up the night before, make sure it's room temperature. And literally, I get up and just focus on hydrating, chugging down this hydration. And one of the things that hit home for me was that he talked about um, a lot of times when you're sleeping at night, you know, you're in there sweating. I sweat a lot when I when I'm sleeping, you know, if I'm like in a super dream state and I'm huddled up in a little ball and I'm not like spread out. I can get hot, you know, and I'm sweating and it's, you know, literally you're losing hydration all through the night. You're, you know, and one of the things that he said that also hit home was, you know, I drink continually throughout the day. I mean, I've, I've probably drank at least a gallon of fluid today since this morning. And this, since I flew left this morning to fly here into right now, that's about the normal time I would have been sleeping. I couldn't imagine going that whole time and not being able to drink, which is essentially what you're doing when you're sleeping. You're not hydrating at all. So when you get up, your body's needing that hydration way more than it's needing, you know, that coffee. So just changing your lifestyle that little bit to wake yourself up differently can literally completely change how your whole day is going to go from there on out. Yeah, and coffee goes miles farther when you started the day hydrated. Mm-hmm. Just giving it that break. There's no doubt. All right, let's one let's one run uh one more here. I'm trying to think here. I want to get something that's specific. Try to there's a few of these things coming in on odd training, but there's one that I wanted to say. There's one question in particular. Oh, you're finding that. When I came here, Kyle hooked me up with, uh, they've got a really new, um, really cool new stretching program here at Onnit. Um, and man, the TK stretching mm-hmm. people. Dude, They're phenomenal. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a whole new person right now. He, I, he stretched me all across that table for an hour. Now I literally come straight into a podcast feeling like freaking Gumby and literally my teeth are floating because i've got so many toxins floating around my body you gotta piss <laughs> like a racehorse some, right unlock now unlock some shit <laughs> yeah well, we'll hit this last one it's kind of there's a few questions that are all tackled around this and i thought it'd be excellent um obviously i can chime in but this is definitely more geared towards you so we we've, we've got one on supplements that reduce inflammation um obviously there's no supplement that fixes shitty diet so cleaning up your diet is going to help the most joint oil from on it's excellent supplement it's got fish oil which is excellent for inflammation along with curcumin which is the active ingredient in turmeric it's a big one 
Last plug for on it. All right. The rest of his question. This is from again. this is from the the braid of all or the Brad of all Brads. Oh gosh. Any advice? He's there's no Brad that's more Bradlier. Yeah. Any advice on shoulder exercises that could help someone with a nagging shoulder injury? Say a slight labrum tear or bicep tendonitis. Not cure, but maybe help management. Thanks, dude. So I know oh, you're the man God. for this since you're a fucking bionic arm. And we've know. got at least three or four more questions that are all similar to this. So hopefully we can bang all these out with one. It's funny you pick Brad. He's kind of a, he's like a celebrity amongst my Brad's. followers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a pretty loaded question because I've struggled with both of those. One of the things that I think is most important when it comes to a lot of people assume that they have shoulder tears. The reality is most people most people don't really have tears when they think they do. A lot of people just don't realize what inflammation and, you know, actually having callusing and scarring in a joint or in um, a connection point. They don't realize that that tendonitis can a lot of times feel more painful than a true tear. Like when I tore my shoulder, it didn't have near as much pain as when I deal with tendonitis every day. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's no doubt. In fact, I wasn't even sure I had an injury when I tore my right labrum. Yep. Because it just felt fine, you know, until I was actually throwing punches or bench pressing. Yep. So there's a couple things um, that are really important. Stretching and learning proper mobility movements are absolutely key. Um, a, a really, really simple one. Uh, that works wonders and I actually heard about it on Rogan's podcast. Um, one of the first things that I'll do is in the, when I go into the gym is I'll actually just jump up on the pull-up bar and just let the weight of my body, I'll just literally hold on and just literally let the weight of my body elongate my shoulders and my biceps and my forearms and my back and just as long as I can hold on, I'll do it. And I can feel stuff moving and clicking and self-aligning um, because the just your natural body weight in that position, it's actually a very, very good thing to do. But you know, learning some basic mobility stretches, it might be worth it for you to, depending on your area, if you haven't ever seen these, is you know to go to a physical therapy place um, there's a lot of different chains around and stuff but for one appointment you could go in there and say listen all i want you to do is sh show me mobility stretches for scapular rotation um, and also elbows biceps um, because for archers those are going to be the main ones and it's hard over a podcast to talk about these but learning those basic stretches and incorporating those into you know for me my fitness um also helps me monitor where my body's at like i feel like i'm a good archer because my mind muscle connection is very strong because of my weightlifting and i don't do a lot of heavy weights i do a lot of negatives so negatives, I think, connect mind and muscle movement a lot more. A little more time so, under tension. Yeah. So when I when I feel like there's a disruption there or there's a restriction in range of motion, I know something's binding up. Um, one thing that you can do is um, there's like scraping tools um, that you can buy. I bought some on Amazon. And they're more or less just like flat plates. It's almost, you know, they're in different shapes, but it's almost the size Rogue, of a cell yeah, phone. Yeah, Rogue Fitness has some. Okay. I, th I think we might carry some. 
Um, Dr. Kelly Sturette, who wrote Becoming a Supple Leopard. I first heard him on Rogan's. He's got uh, mobilitywad.com. There's over 500 free videos all on how to detail your body head to toe okay, using well, bands, voodoo floss, which was another question we had. Voodoo floss does work. It's fucking excellent. What I, is that? Voodoo floss are like these, these rubber bands you'd wrap around a joint like elbow or knee, and then you move through range of motion with that. And it basically tacks the joint, the muscles at the insertion point, and that opens it up by restricting blood flow. You take it off, you get a gush of blood flow and oxygen and nutrients. In yeah. addition to that, it feeds slack through the length of the muscle belly. Most people, if you stretch and you're locked down, say your hamstring's super tight behind the knee and you have knee pain. Yep. So you go to do a hamstring stretch, you might stretch the middle belly of that. And so the analogy he uses, is if you tie a rubber band in a knot and you stretch the rubber band, that knot's getting tighter, even though the rubber band is stretching. Right, so yeah. we attack the knot at the insertion point, and that feeds slack throughout the entire system. So Kelly Sturette has that website. He also has Becoming a Supple Leopard. It is, it's the fucking Bible on body work, all self work with lacrosse balls, bands, grassland, and a lot of these tools that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think it's an excellent resource for anybody. It's available on Amazon. One way it was put to me that made the most sense was, you know, someone said it's a lot like if you have long hair. When you come out of the shower, you know, if your hair isn't laying right, you know, you have to brush it through. You have to brush it to where all of the fibers are literally going in one direction. Same is true with a muscle. When a muscle's working and the, you know, and it's contracting, the fibers are sliding past one another. You know, they have to elongate, they have to contract, but when they're pretty much like misaligned and scarred up or knotted up it's you know you're not getting that full motion and that a lot of times that's where you feel these hard like cartilage and scarring areas and like a really good shiatsu therapist will actually break those apart which is painful as hell but i've had times where i would have bet a million dollars i had a torn pec or I had a torn bicep and literally go to someone like that. I have a guy that I use um, every time I pass Tulsa, I go to a guy named Lester Phillips, works at uh, Body Masters and all he does is literally break apart all of my all of my movable joint areas. He just gets in there and breaks apart that scarring and it's a life changer. I mean, it literally is a game changer. And um, for those of you out there who feel like you have a tear, I would say focus on the mobility b before you jump to the conclusion of thinking that, you know, you're in a repetitive sport. Um, actually, uh, Lester told me that a lot of what he sees in my, um, in my arms are very, very related to fighters. My left elbow always has a lot of scarring misalignment in the fibers and he says it's from the constant hyper extension of the bow firing the bow firing he said same for punchers you know fighters where they're just hyper extension hyper extension they reaching out with that jab nonstop. Yeah, exactly they develop that same thing whereas a lot of guys are constantly cocked with the same arm they have that scarring in a different area on the opposite arm which is equivalent to me at full draw, you know, I'm literally, it's almost like jab you're arm is my always, bow arm. Always throwing the jab, right, always keeping right. the right hand cocked. And getting those few things worked out, you know, I, I go by there about three or four times a year and it totally, totally changes my life. I mean, I think so many people, so many people are quick to rush out and 
want to buy you know the new arrow or something like that and you know especially archers you don't see yourself as an athlete i view you as an athlete because it's something that is very repetitive to a certain symmetry of the body and that's going to cause misalignment so getting your balance back in check is going to be super super valuable to to longevity but also to accuracy Hell yeah, brother. Well, where can people uh, where can people find you online, and where can they listen to your glorious podcast? Well, they can find me online at Knock On TV, N O C K O N TV. Not there's a no, K. There's no K in yeah, there. Yeah, there's no fighting K at the front end of that. Um, and yeah, like YouTube, if you want to learn, watch videos. Uh, YouTube, it's Knock On Archery. And I have a lot of tutorials, how-tos, all that good stuff. And yeah, knock on podcasts. I'm going to have to, you're learning archery today. That's right, brother. So we're going to- I want to get to it. You're going to be on my podcast. You're going to be my next guest. So when we're done, we're going to pick up on these questions for knock on podcasts. Fuck yeah. See how you, uh, how you, how you ended up. No not missing any teeth or still have all the skin on your forearm should be good (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah brother thanks for joining us appreciate it all right thank you guys for tuning into the on it podcast with my man john dudley i had an absolute blast with this guy give him a follow knock on tv please leave us a five-star rating it helps get the word out so other people will listen to the show and uh thanks for tuning in guys